Welcome to Madison's Notes, the official podcast of Princeton University's James Madison Program in American Ideals and Institutions. I'm your host, Nino Scalia. Our website is jmp.princeton.edu, and our Twitter handle is at Madison Program. It's great to have you with us. Hello, and welcome back to Madison's Notes. I'm your host, Nino Scalia, and our guests today are Jack Phillips and Jake Warner. Jack Phillips is the owner of Masterpiece Cake Shop in Lakewood, Colorado, and the author of The Cost of My Faith, How a Decision in My Cake Shop Took Me to the Supreme Court. Jake Warner serves as legal counsel for Alliance Defending Freedom's appellate team. Jack Phillips, Jake Warner, welcome to Madison's Notes. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Now, we have, we have lots to cover in the next 29 minutes, gentlemen, so we're going to get right to it. And Jack, I want to start with you and start with your start. When did you become interested in baking and designing cakes? Well, I needed a job after I graduated high school and uh, with no other prospects. Uh, a man that owned a large wholesale bakery lived across the street from me, and he was gracious enough to hire me. Um, I found out shortly after I got used to working for a living that uh, I really enjoyed baking and thought someday I would open my own bakery. And you did. 1993, that's right, was when you founded Masterpiece Cake Shop? Yeah, I started working in the bakery in 1974, though quite a while before that. And do you have a, uh, a this may be in, in some of the ways one of the most important questions I'll ask today, but do you have a specialty or a favorite kind of cake to bake flavor, texture, style, what have you? Yeah, my favorite cake is our white cake with uh, vanilla cream filling and white buttercream icing on it. It's just really moist, really delicious, and I recommend it to everybody. <laughs> well, that sounds fantastic. Um, now, when reading your book, Jack, or hearing interviews you've done, it's impossible not to notice. And as a Christian, it's impossible not to admire your deep devotion to Christ. Now, Jack, can you tell us a little bit about how you came to Christ? Yeah, that was uh, back in 1978. Um, I grew up going to church every every Sunday pretty much till I was about 17, and then I quit going to church, and uh, then I got my job at the, at the bakery, and it entailed working every Sunday. So even if I wanted to go to church, which I didn't, um, I would have been out of the question. But uh, one day in the spring of 1978. I was working the night shift and uh, got off work that morning and was just headed home. And I was driving down one of the main thoroughfares just a mile or two from my apartment. And suddenly uh, just the Holy Spirit uh, confronted me in my car out of the blue without any, any reason. I wasn't like a drug dealing, you know, alcoholic who woke up in the gutter and said, God, if you save me, I'll serve you. I was just minding my own business and suddenly um, God came to my car and I know how weird that sounds, but uh, convicted me of my sin. And I say my sin because that's um, my transgressions against him and my inability to be with him, not my sins necessarily. Like if I lied to you, I could make amends with you. But when I lie, I break God's law. And so he convicted me of that. And I realized at that point that I needed a savior and that it was Jesus Christ and all the Sunday school lessons and church sermons and everything that I'd heard growing up suddenly um, made sense. 
And so the first thing I thought of was, uh, I need to negotiate this. And so I told God, you know, let me clean up my life and you'll get a better deal. He said, you can't. And I said, you're right, I'm yours. I knew right at that point that there was nothing I could do to enhance or uh, uh, make better the salvation that I received through Christ's death on the cross, his burial and resurrection from the grave. Yeah. Um, you share this story so wonderfully in the book. And uh, as you tell it, you return home and you, you go straight to bed. I think you give your wife, wife yeah. a kiss on the cheek and go straight to bed. But something or someone, God is saying to you, go tell her, go tell her. Yeah. Tell us what happened a- after that. Well, I, like I say, I worked nights. And so I, I did go directly to bed. I wanted to avoid a conversation with her because I knew that uh, when I told her that I'd become a Christian, that that probably wouldn't go well. Um, just a few weeks earlier, she had blown up at my sister-in-law for merely inviting her to church. And uh, so um, I went to bed, tried to go to sleep. And I'm the kind of person who I close my eyes and I fall asleep immediately. But not that day. That day, I could not sleep. And again, God was in my bedroom telling me, go tell Debbie what you've just done. And I thought, I'm going to ne- negotiate again. Let me get a good night's sleep and then I can do this. And she said, no, go tell her now. How about later? go tell her now I'll be with you so I finally got up and went out to the kitchen where she was sitting at the table and she looked at me as surprised to see me awake as I was to be awake really and like what's wrong what's up and so I kind of stuttered and stammered and hesitated hoping for a reprieve which never came so I told her I became a Christian today and she looked at me and she said me too (laughs) three days ago and so the same God that confronted me with my sin and, and rescued me from that um, came to her while she was working in the house. And uh, she understood salvation for the first time in her life. And, and so we started on a new road together. That's fantastic. And, and it's impossible to understand, I think, any of the rest of what we're going to discuss without first understanding that conversion and what it has meant to you and to your family. But I'd like to fast forward a few decades now from that moment. Sure. And this is perhaps the moment that Christ gave you your cross. And that's in July of 2012, two men come into Masterpiece Cake Shop inquiring about a custom wedding cake to celebrate their so-called same-sex marriage. What happened on that day? Oh, it was a a beautiful, bright, sunny afternoon here in Lakewood, Colorado, suburb of Denver. And uh, I had two girls working for me, but they were both occupied at the time. So it felt to me to sit down with these two men in our wedding area, special area that we have set up to uh, talk with brides and about their wedding cakes and the potential plans and all that, give them samples. So I walked over to the desk where these two men were seated and introduced myself. Gentleman on my right said, his name is David. On my left is Charlie. I'm Jack, what can I do for you? So we're here to look for wedding cakes. David told me that. Charlie replied, it's for our wedding. And so I immediately knew what my answer would be, that I couldn't create a cake to celebrate a marriage other than the biblical definition of marriage. And um, so thinking, how am I going to, I knew what I was going to say, what the message would be, but I wasn't quite sure what the words would be. And so I told them, sorry, guys, I don't make cakes for same-sex weddings. They looked at me, kind of stared at me like, what did you just say? Like, kind of unbelieving or whatever. And I said, you know, make you birthday cakes, shower cakes, sell you cookies or brownies. But I just can't create cake for same-sex wedding. And I was hoping to have more of a conversation, you know, like to be able to explain that more fully. But I 
looking back, I think in those few 20 second, in that 20 second conversation, I would be glad to serve you. I would gladly serve you other custom work, but this is a cake that I can't create because of what it is. You come in my store and I'll sell you anything that I've got, but I can't create this particular cake. And it, I didn't get any further conversation with them. I got uh, David jumped up to his feet and flipped me off and swore at me and stormed out the door. And Charlie got up and picked up a folder that they that he had with him and went and talked to a woman who was sitting at one of our other tables, and that happened to be his mom, and they went out the other door. Hmm. And that kind of an event has never happened in my shop where somebody has yelled at me and screamed at me because I wouldn't create a cake and stormed out. So it was quite a un, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. It was not a normal day. You said that you knew what your answer would be right away. You didn't know what the words would be, but you knew what your answer was. Mm -hmm. um, too often, I think, when people are telling your story, it comes out this way. Jack Phillips is the baker who refused to bake the cake for those two gay men. That's not quite right. You there was a message there that you could not, in good conscience, convey. That was not a decision that you made on that day. That was a decision you and your wife made decades prior when you started Masterpiece Cake Shop. Is that right? Yeah. Prior to opening Masterpiece Cake Shop, we had to, you know, decide where the shop was going to be and all kinds of, you know, things that you need to know about what your business is going to look like. And among those decisions would be that uh, we decided we wouldn't create cakes that would uh, celebrate Halloween or cakes that would be anti-American or cakes that would be racist or that would insult people. We also decided that would include people who identify as LGBT. It's just if I won't say it, I won't write it on a cake. Um, but we also decided way back then before it was really on anybody's radar that we wouldn't create cakes to celebrate same-sex weddings because the Bible clearly defines what God's definition of a of marriage and a wedding would be, and that's with one man and one woman. And so any other definition would be something that we couldn't create. So just to be clear, it wasn't the two men who came in and asked for the cake. Whoever ordered a cake that would go against any of those things, um, we would decline the cake but it's never the, the person. Like you say, the, the, the cake itself has a message. If you were to walk into a conference room at a hotel, you've got a business meeting and you open a door, you didn't know which room you were supposed to go in and you open the door and you saw a wedding cake sitting or a tiered cake, cake in the corner, you would know instinctively that a wedding was being celebrated and marriage had just been consummated. Nobody would need to tell you because that wedding cake is a message in and of itself. It's an iconic symbol of, of a marriage and a wedding. So to create that cake, um, just to have my cake in, on display at a place like that would be uh, against what I believe. Jack, when you write or talk about marriage, you talk about it, and in your book, you call it this, as something that is sacred. It's not just two people who have decided they want to spend the rest of their life together. Could you say a word about what marriage means to you? Um, looking at, you know, the biblical definition of a man and a woman, and then God's um, analogy that the church is the bride, his bride, and being married now for over 40 years, our anniversary is coming up uh, next weekend for uh, number 43. Wow. The longer I've been married, the more, the deeper that relationship becomes. It's no longer just Debbie and I living together, raising kids and all that. 
um, my love for her, my relationship to her, my desire to serve her and, and to be the best husband I could be is all part and parcel of that marriage arrangement that God designed. And it's a good design. It's a for our good too. I know you've heard this before, including from the women on The View. Uh, and I think this is the first time I've borrowed a question from the women on The View. But people hear about your decision not to craft this custom wedding cake for these two men, and they hear you talk about your Christian faith, and they'll say, well, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus say love your neighbor? Wouldn't the Christ-like thing be to bake the cake? How do you respond to that, Jack? My easiest response for me would be to you know, go back to the Bible that God created marriage to be between one man and one woman. That hasn't changed. And so for me to um, violate that would not be to show love to anybody. It would be showing that I, I doubt or that I dispute or I have a better idea what the Bible means than uh, um, what it says. Yeah. So I want to just stick with the lines that we drew in the sand way back in the, you know 30 years ago, what the bakery looked like and try and be obedient to what I believe the Bible teaches about marriage. Yeah. It's, uh, it's 2021. We're talking about a decision you made back in 2012. Well, perhaps a decision you made decades prior to that, but an action that you took in 2012 or declined to take right. in 2012. For many listeners, their knowledge of the Jack Phillips Masterpiece Cake Shop episode probably ends in 2018 with your 7-2 victory in the U.S. Supreme Court. Right there, they think the curtains closed on this chapter in your life, your rights were upheld, and you got back to work at Masterpiece Cake Shop. Unfortunately, that's not where your story ends. And, and Jake, if I could direct this question toward you, could you say a word about the legal battles <laughs> that have continued? I mean, essentially without pause since then. Yeah, you mentioned the 2018 decision by the Supreme Court. Um, you know, that was the culmination of a, a six-year court battle in Jack's first case. And, and the U.S. Supreme Court ultimately ruled for Jack, upholding his First Amendment free exercise rights. Uh, the Supreme Court uh, said that Colorado was wrong because they uh, treated him and his faith with hostility. Uh, they highlighted some comments by Colorado officials in, in which uh, some, some of those officials compared Jack's uh, plea for religious freedom to some of the worst things in our history, such as defenses used to justify the Holocaust and, and slavery and things like that. But the court also uh, highlighted that Colorado treated Jack worse than every other cake artist. Uh, you know, during Jack's first case, there were um, you know uh, three other cake shops who declined to create cakes criticizing same-sex marriage, and Colorado uh, allowed them to assert that message-based uh, objection without prosecuting them. But they treated Jack wholly differently. Um, now, fast forward up to uh, when the Supreme Court decided to hear Jack's case in twenty. Uh, June of 2017. And uh, on that same day, a, a local Denver attorney called Jack and asked for a custom pink and blue cake to celebrate a gender transition. And um, it, but it wasn't the first time that this attorney had contacted Jack. Back in 2012, this attorney had emailed Jack calling him a bigot and a hypocrite and then really tracked Jack for a number of years and, and ultimately requested this gender transition cake and then a couple of months later asked for a custom cake depicting Satan smoking 
marijuana. And, and I think this is representative of a larger trend that we've been seeing around the country of activists and government officials weaponizing the legal system to punish people that they simply disagree with. And, and that's wrong. And Jack has faced two more lawsuits centered on this gender transition cake request that he received uh, back in, in 2017. And we're still litigating uh, the last of those cases, uh, appealing a most recent decision up to the Colorado Court of Appeals. The cost of all of this, Jack. A skeptic might hear you on this podcast or have seen you on national television shows like The View and say something like, okay, well, how bad could this really be? He's on TV. He has a book out. His store probably has new customers. Now, my impression from reading your book and hearing you speak is that people who think this way about you totally misunderstand you. Could you tell us a little bit about the cost of this? And of course, I don't just mean monetarily, but professionally and personally. Um, yeah, there have been some really profound costs to this. Um, this the uh, wedding business was a huge percentage of our business and the uh, Colorado Civil Rights Commission and the Colorado Administrative Law Court said that I had to, uh, if I'm going to continue making wedding cakes, then I have to make them for every couple that comes in, including same-sex couples. So we had to uh, make a decision and it was an easy decision to make, but it was a decision that came with uh, difficulties to give up weddings altogether and that stream of income or to give up you know, our beliefs and uh, acquiesce to this um, demand from the court. So we gave up our wedding business and that was, like I say, a huge percentage of our business and not only dollar-wise, but employee-wise. It went from 10 employees down to four, including myself. And, uh, you know, I have people here to bake cakes and here to design cakes and here to sit with the, the brides and do the consultations, full-time delivery people. And all that went away, all that camaraderie and all that teamwork and, you know, just the enjoyment everybody got from working together. So that was not a monetary cost necessarily, but just a, a personal cost. Um, I remember my wife calling me one day as I pulled up to the shop. She said, is there any graffiti on the shop? No, but Channel 2 is here. So you've got unexpected trials and tribulations, uh, vandalism, um, death threats, just crazy, crazy stuff going on. All I'm trying to do is run a small family retail business and, and support my community and, and help people celebrate important events with uh, the canvas of a cake. I know the answer to this question, but I'm, I'm going to ask it anyway. If you could have known back in 2012, what this would have cost you, would you have still done the same thing? Absolutely. I would have done the same thing. I may have approached the 22nd conversation differently, hoping to have more of a conversation than just the two men storming out. I did get the opportunity the next day to talk to the, the one man's mother. She called up. So I was able to explain to her what my beliefs were. And that didn't have any effect on it. They still sued me. And so we ended up going through that court system. Um, but looking at where we are now in our third lawsuit, and the judge just ruled against us. So like Jake was saying, you know, we filed an appeal and we're going forward with that. The uh, attorney who filed a complaint and is suing me promised me face-to-face -face during mediation and also under oath in the court that if I were to win this case or it were to be dismissed for any reason, I would get a phone call the next day with another cake and we would start all over again. So it wouldn't matter if I were to give up 
to not make that decision, this person would still be tracking us down and we still have to make that same stand and the same stand is worth making today. And it would, the only thing I would change would be hopefully more conversation. One of the most amazing parts of your book is toward the end of the book. And you're talking about what you learned throughout all of this, what you have learned throughout all of this. And you say that perhaps the most important thing you learned was just how good God is. And that's, that's incredible to me, but I'm curious, did you ever get, or have you ever gotten frustrated with God for all of this thought? Why me? Why does this continue? No, the, the afternoon that the two men stormed out of my shop, 20 minutes later, I started getting phone calls, you know, hateful phone calls. Are you the one who just turned away, you know, day couples? And no, I would never turn away anybody like that. I just may not be able to make a cake that people ask me, but it's, it's never the person. It's always the message of the cake. And I was getting these hateful phone calls and emails. And it was about an hour, hour and a half before I was headed home and I stopped at the grocery store. My head was just spinning, like, what in the world's going on? I've never had anybody swear at me like that. And God gave me a verse from the Bible in 2 Timothy 1 7. It says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. And I suddenly understood at that, that moment that God was in control of everything. And so there has never been a moment, not a second from that, that time till now that I've not trusted him and known that his, he is good and he's working all things for um, his good for anyway who uh, loves him and is called according to his purpose and we're called to do this. And so we want to do this the best we, we know how. I want to talk a little bit and we're going to, we're drawing to, to an end here shortly, but I want to talk a little bit about the national implications of this. And, and Jake, I want to start with you. Could you say a word about the state of religious freedom in America today? I mean, is religious persecution like the persecution Jack has faced taking place consistently? Or is, are these isolated incidents and concerns of this nature are just overblown? Well, ADF is representing clients all over the country right now, just like Jack Phillips. You probably know about, you know, Baronelle Stutzman. She is the Washington florist who faced a, a situation very similar to what Jack faced. Um, she was asked to create custom floral art to celebrate a same-sex wedding, and that's a message that she could not celebrate through her artistic expression. But we've also represented uh, filmmakers in Minnesota uh, and a painter and calligrapher in Arizona and then photographers all up and down the East Coast. So this is a very big issue affecting Americans right now from coast to coast. And the good news is, uh, I believe, is that courts are... Um, increasingly recognizing uh, the First Amendment uh, freedoms at stake here. They're saying that the government doesn't have the power to force people to express messages that go against their core beliefs. And when ADF represented two filmmakers in Minnesota, we appealed up to the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, and that federal appellate court upheld the filmmakers' right to create expression consistently with their deepest beliefs. And the same thing happened in the painter and calligraphers case here in Arizona. When that case got up to the Arizona Supreme Court, it too uh, upheld the First Amendment right of creative professionals to create uh, expression consistently with their faith. So I think what we're seeing is that courts around the country are, are starting to get it and recognize that the Constitution forbids government from punishing people or for compelling them uh, from it forbids them from compelling uh, creative professionals to express messages that go against their core beliefs. And, and ultimately, I think the Supreme Court is really going to have to weigh in on this issue because just a week or two ago. 
uh, the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals um, issued a bad ruling in a case uh, also involving uh, a Colorado creative, um, involving a, a, a website designer there. The Tenth Circuit said that Colorado could compel this uh, website designer to create custom websites celebrating a view of marriage that goes against her deeply held religious beliefs. And, and we're appealing that case up to the U.S. Supreme Court, and, and we're hopeful that this, the court's going to weigh in because this speech issue is critical to every American. I mean, every American deserves the freedom to express only those messages that are consistent with their core beliefs. And that's a principle that protects not only Jack and his kind of conservative Christian beliefs, but it also protects people uh, with wholly different beliefs. For example, we don't think the government should force a website designer who identifies as LGBT to promote uh, custom websites celebrating a view of marriage that goes against their beliefs. So, so we're hopeful that the court's going to protect the freedom of all Americans soon and weigh in on this free speech issue. Yeah, I'll put a link in the show notes uh, to the website of the Alliance Defending Freedom. I encourage all listeners to, to check them out and see all the fantastic work they're doing. Um, one more question about what this means for America. And, and Jack, this is for you. At one point, and I think this was in response to the, to the third lawsuit brought against you, at one point you said, Colorado just seemed to be looking for opportunities to punish me for my faith. That seems like a totally legitimate question to be asking. I'm sure if I were in your circumstance, I would be asking the same question, perhaps even uh, worded a little more colorfully. How has this ordeal affected the way you think about America? Well, if you look at our second lawsuit, which was the same cake, the pink and blue cake, the attorney filed a complaint with the state and the state came after us, uh, deciding to that they had probable cause to pursue this three weeks after we won at the United States Supreme Court and the United States Supreme Court uh, reprimanded the Colorado Civil Rights Commission for their impermissible and open hostility to me and my faith. And then the second uh, case was dismissed because we found evidence of the new commission's um, desire to uh, embrace that hostility and, and attack me even further. And so they dismissed that case. But that's that's just simple people. Our, our court system, I believe, was written, designed by God 200 years ago with men that he brought together with great wisdom to create this unique, one-of-a-kind democracy and constitution. And you know, when righteous people are in charge, then we have a good and righteous government. And when wicked people are in charge, then we don't. And so we need to uh, pray that God will continue to uh, uh, bless this country with uh, the right uh, leaders to uh, protect us so that every American can be free to live and work according to their conscience without fear of punishment from the government, that the government should be ready to protect these valuable rights because if they go away, they don't come back. Unfortunately, I think too many Americans are living in fear and probably justified fear about the fate of their civil liberties. Jack, what advice do you have for those men and women who are either actively facing similar discrimination, persecution, or are afraid that they might face this persecution or their children might? You know, all of us have the potential of facing these, these problems. With us, with my wife and I, we sat down before we opened the cake shop, and like I was saying, these are cakes that we can't create, these are cakes that we can, we knew what our lines in the sand would be, and so we practiced standing up for those decisions throughout the course of the last you know, the 20 years previous to the uh, two men coming in, so we were, we were prepared to stand for what we believe, 
And uh, so I, my advice would be for anybody opening a business or just you know, in their work situation, you know, what are your lines? Where are they drawn? And are they worth standing for? And in this case, you know, God's definition of marriage and his, his uh, design for sexuality and gender, uh, they're good designs and uh, they're worth fighting for. Amen to that. And as we think about how we can help you in this fight, Jack, a final question for you. How can listeners, other than continuing to pray for you, how can listeners support you and support Masterpiece Cake Shop? Well, um, Alliance Defending Freedom, ADF, has represented us for these nine years for free, pro bono. It's never cost me a dime, but it's a very expensive proposition to take cases like this through the court. So they can defend me and themselves by donating to Alliance Defending Freedom with the link that you said you put up. That's always a good way or just uh, people call us up and just say words of encouragement. That's always always good too. Well, I, I have taken too much of both of your time and, and Jack, I know you have some really beautiful cakes to get back to. So thank <laughs> you both so much for joining me today on Madison's Notes. Thanks, Dino. Yep. Thank you. There you have it, Madisonians. It was a pleasure to have Jack Phillips and Jake Warner on the show and to hear from Jack on his excellent book, The Cost of My Faith, How a Decision in My Cake Shop Took Me to the Supreme Court. You can find a link to the book in the show notes. I don't have much else to add today, so I'll just ask that you please take a second to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes and another couple of seconds to recommend the podcast to your friends and to your family. I hope you have a great week, and I hope to have you back with us next time, here on Madison's Notes.